Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. So I was out walking yesterday, um, and I was listening to uh, some worship music. I had my earbuds in, and um, I was, it was by myself, so I was on a, a pretty long walk, several mile walk, uh, doing a little bit of a different path than I've done before. And I had, a, I had a deep, started to have a deep conversation with myself. It didn't last very long, but it was deep for just a few minutes. And, and I was actually seriously thinking about this, this vector that we call time as I was walking. I was walking by certain places and just thinking, God, this will be the last time that I'm going to get this moment. Like I'm never again going to be able to recapture this moment in my life, ever. And it started to dawn on me as I was thinking about this that, you know, life is really filled with kind of these three time quadrants, right? This, this past, and then our present, and then our future. And we all know about the present because we're living it in this very moment. But do you know what the past is? The past is actually an ever-increasing frame of reference for us. It's ever-increasing. But you know what the future is? It's an ever-diminishing frame of opportunity. I want you to think about that for a minute. We have this growing frame of reference about the past, but we have this diminishing frame of opportunities that lie before us. And here's the point. You're never going to have this moment again, what you're having right now. It will never happen Again, it'll simply be a, a memory and a frame of reference. This is the most special opportunity for you today. This is the most significant moment that you've had in your life right now. I want you to know that. Because God is here, and we sang about it. He wants us to experience him and connect with him. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning as we continue our series, Ghost Stories. So I shared this um, a few weeks back by way of introduction, but I think it's worth repeating. In in the Gospels, there are about 850 words that tell us about the resurrection of Jesus, but there are 2,400 words that are actually committed to Christ's appearances. 300% more words about his appearing in his resurrected body where there are 40 scripture verses about the resurrection, there are over 100 that actually tell us about Christ appearing following his resurrection. So here's the deal. This was significant stuff in the life of Christ. In fact, it was significant enough for it to take up some some heavy mileage and heavy space in the Gospels, which means it's significant enough for us to give it our attention. So here's the big idea. I want to remind you of the big idea of this series. God appears to so that he can appear through. God appears to so that he can appear through. So the Gospels close with Jesus Christ appearing to. The book of Acts opens with Jesus Christ appearing through. 
the resurrected Christ in that moment begins to shine and express himself through the early church. And here's what I love about it. The book of Acts doesn't end. We're actually living right now in the age of the book of Acts, in that dispensation. God is still appearing and showing himself through his followers. And so he appears to so that he can appear through. This morning brings us to actually one of the most complex appearances of Jesus that we read in the gospel narrative. It's actually found in the book of Luke, which gives us more, of, more text about the appearances than any of the other three gospels. And here it is. Luke chapter 24, we'll begin reading at verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' disciples were going to the village of Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they were talking and thinking about what had happened, Jesus came near and started walking beside them. But notice what it says. But they did not know who he was. Now, we do not know a great deal about these two men. In fact, Luke only gives us one of the two names. So according to Luke, who these men were were not nearly as significant about what transpired. We don't know much about them, but what we do know is this. We know what the first part of this tells us. They were Jesus' disciples. Don't miss that. These guys were not strangers to what had just transpired. These two men were not outsiders. They were insiders. These guys had a front row seat and backstage passes to what was taking place in the story. They didn't only know the storyline. They knew the protagonist. They knew Jesus. They knew the main character. That's exactly what the scripture teaches here. These guys were followers of Jesus Christ and very much a part of what was taking place. And I don't want us to miss that, which actually leads us into our very first of three ideas that I want to extrapolate from this text this morning. The first one is this. God is with us, but we don't always recognize him. God is with us, but we don't always recognize him. Honestly, I think we're more like these two guys than we care to admit. And here's what I mean. I think many of us that are here today know enough about the story to know about Jesus. But we would not recognize him if he stood before us. In fact, he does it all the time. And we don't see him. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and do what people do to me actually quite often? Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, do you recognize me? And that's how they begin their conversation? Okay, if that's never happened to you, don't take the bait. It's a trick question, okay? No, I'm serious. It's a trick question. I always have this, this really profound moment. It's, it's like a quandary for me. My palms start to sweat. My heart starts racing. You know, I start getting all nervous about, like, what do I do? Because this is like a no-win situation, right? I have bad dreams about this. Because if you respond and you say, well, of course I recognize you. You know what's coming next, don't you? What's my name? 
Ooh. That gets a little dicey, right? See, but, but if, on the other hand, you say to them, no, I don't recognize you. Wow, you stand the chance of really offending them, right? So it's a tough, tough situation. Well, God is appearing to us. And God is with us. And we often don't recognize him. So, so, there are, so there are two things that I have come to really appreciate and realize in my spiritual journey. And here they are. God often appears at times we least expect. And God often appears in ways we least expect. So here's Noah, a year of drought, and God says build an ark. Are you kidding me, God? Seriously? Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den, praying to God five times a day, and it's in that moment God chooses to show up. Seriously, God? Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, the three Hebrew children that were actually taken into captivity into Babylon, are are thrown into a fiery furnace and thought their life was over, and a fourth man shows up, and it's God. Seriously, God? In that time and in that way? And I could give you story after story after story because here's the reality, and I want you to catch this this morning. God's level of revelation to us is directly dependent upon our level of expectation. God's level of revelation to us is directly contingent upon and connected to our level of expectation. Here's what that means. If you aren't looking for God, you're probably never going to see him in your life. That's what it means. If you are never on the lookout for moments of seeing where God is, you probably are going to live your entire Christian life disconnected and never actually having a moment of seeing him. Let me ask you a question by show of hands. If I could make you an offer today and tell you exactly where you could go to look and see God, How many of you would take me up on that offer? If I could tell you exactly where to go. Okay, the rest of you that didn't raise your hand, you probably go. The rest of this message may not mean a lot to you. But I think all of us here, let's be honest, we'd love to know where to go. Like, where do we find him? How do we even begin to look for him? Well, I want to read to you a scripture and share a scripture that's actually out of the Gospel of Matthew that tells us. But, I, but I'm not going to read it. I'm going to have somebody join me this morning. Kara Moore said, I want you to come and join me up here this morning. Thank you for uh, helping me out. Um, sure. You might need your Bible, though, to read this. Nah, no? Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> okay, so, so why don't you go ahead and read that then, uh, Matthew, the Scripture, off of your arm. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Matthew twenty five forty four. Kara, when did, you, when, when did you get that tattoo on your arm? Well, my very first visit to Grace Crossing Church was almost four years ago, and you were actually preaching, I think it was the second week, in a sermon series called Seven um, on Matthew 25. Does anybody remember it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Feels like I can never do that one again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should. Um, well, I don't know about you guys, but it hit me pretty hard because it was just not how I was living my life. And so there was something in that moment that actually made a pretty profound impact on you, so much so 
that you decided you wanted to etch it on your, on your body so that you could be reminded every single day. What was it that connected with your heart that day? Well, the truth is I really wanted to get another tattoo anyway. Um, <laughs> I was feeling a little lopsided, and I'd been wanting to get one for a while. But this, really, this one really did hit me. And I remember that I made a, a specific decision when I went to, um, to get Matthew 25, 44 uh, on my arm, which is, comes from the perspective of the, of the bad people, the ones who didn't minister to Jesus, um, rather than the earlier verse about the ones who were um, do-gooders, saintly people who did. And the reason is that I knew that the person who was going to be reading this most often off my arm was me. And um, I didn't really want it to be like a, a banner of a boastful thing to other people showing what, you know, what good things I was doing in my life, but rather to be a, um, kind of like a constant reminder to myself of what I did not want to be saying to Jesus when he was separating the sheep from the goats. Yeah, that's powerful. And so just a quick story. Um, how has God used that in your life? Can you give us just a quick illustration of a moment where you felt the Lord really used that reminder to you? Sure. Um, well, I... I wish I had a, a story about a, a mission trip to Africa or opening a soup kitchen in my dining room, something big, you know. But I just haven't so far felt really called to anything big like that. But what God has been doing in my life is making me a lot more aware all the time of little opportunities where I can minister to other people. And particularly for me, it's been in regards to strangers. Um, and because for me, it's, it's always been kind of the thing that I, when strangers approach me asking for help, whether it's money or something else, I always wonder if I'm being conned or if they, if they just want um, a little money for some drugs or alcohol or something. And I'm sure it's true sometimes, um, and that sometimes it's not. But what I felt like God was telling me was that it's not my responsibility to worry about what they're going to do with something that God told me to give them. It's my responsibility just to be obedient. And there was a, there've been a lot of kind of things like this that have happened in the last few years, but one that really comes to mind is about a year ago, I was getting out of my car in the Kroger parking lot and this very extremely pregnant woman uh, came up to me with this cart full of groceries and said that she had locked her keys and her phone in her car. It was hot outside. Her ice cream was melting. You know, could I, would I drive her home? And I really wanted to make an excuse and walk away, not because it was inconvenient or anything, but more because it made me nervous. Um, I was all by myself, single woman, and I felt nervous about having somebody I didn't know in my car and driving them to a place I was not familiar with. But um, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, my arm would just not allow me to, to walk away from her. Um, and so the moral of the story, my advice to you is if, you, um, if you've got a Bible passage that makes you a little uncomfortable, um, maybe challenges you and that you'd like to be able to ignore sometimes, don't get it permanently tattooed on your arm <laughs> because it will spiritually slap you in the face every time you try to turn away from it. Thanks. Can we express appreciation to Kara? So one day people are going to stand before Jesus and, and they're going to say to him, when do we see you? And didn't recognize you. When did we see you? And ignored you. And Jesus is going to say, listen, I was hungry. You gave me nothing to eat. I was naked. You gave me no clothes. Thirsty. You offered me nothing to drink. I was in prison. You forgot about me. I was a stranger. I was lonely. And you never came to visit me and see me. 
when you do it and don't do it to them. When you ignore them, when you overlook, then you overlook me. And so here's the reality. God is all around us. Do you recognize him? Are you seeing him and those opportunities? There's a second idea I want to extrapolate. We'll pick it up at verse 17. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written all over their faces. Have you ever had a moment where you're having a really deep conversation with somebody, opening up your heart, maybe maybe it's a really tough conversation, and all of a sudden somebody shows up in the middle of the conversation and says, what are you guys talking about? And they want you to relive this. They want you to retell it. These guys stop in their tracks. Their face is completely sad. And they're looking at this stranger that they obviously didn't recognize, and they say and think to themselves, what rock did you just crawl out of that you don't know? One of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem. you got to be the only guy who hasn't heard all the things that have happened in these last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Here's the second thing I want us to think about this morning. God is speaking to us, but we often don't hear him. God is having conversation with us, but we often aren't listening. I think a lot of us are probably like Samuel in the Old Testament, who the Bible says he was brought to the priest Eli, and he was to be a minister actually there and be kind of a minister in training. In 1 Samuel 3, 4 through 5, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. This didn't happen just once. This didn't only happen twice. Three times Samuel hears the voice of God and goes to the priest and says, why are you calling me? What is it you want? And we think, how is that possible? Verse 7 tells us, Samuel did not recognize the voice. I've wondered how many times in my life has God tried to speak to me and I didn't recognize it was him. How many times did God try to get my attention and I actually chalked it up to just simply a fleeting thought or a fleeting idea or just kind of some bad pizza I had the night before and yet God is trying to say something to me and speak to me. The reality is the Lord is always speaking to us. The question is, are we listening? And then the other question is, how do we know and how do we discern God's voice? In other words, how does God speak to us? Well, I'm going to give you just a few ways this morning. 
I believe God speaks to us through the Bible and through prayer. If the only word of God you ever hear is at Grace Crossing Church on Sunday morning, you're never going to hear from God through the week if you never pick up your Bible. If you never pray and you never invite God into your life at any other time, you're probably not going to hear him speak. God speaks through his word, yes. And when we're here in a morning like this, we know God is speaking. I have people walk out of church so often and say to me, man, when you said such and so, God real," and I never said it. I never made the comment. And I know what the Lord's doing. The Lord is speaking to hearts. God, I believe, speaks through love and kindness of others. I've had the Lord speak to me so many times through a word that was just choice and in the moment, and it was right. And through the kindness of somebody who in their love reached out to me. That was God speaking to me. When I'm outside like I was yesterday, man, God's voice comes alive through nature to me. I hear him speak to me through that which he has created. I want to give you one other way that I believe God speaks. And I want to use an illustration of a prophet by the name of Elijah, who in the Old Testament, the Bible says, he was actually at the worst moment of his life. This guy was down the dumps. He wanted his life to be over. And God says, Elijah, I want to come, and and I want to show up to you, and I also want to bring a word to you. And here's what he tells him in 1 Kings. Go out and stand before me on the mountain the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But notice this. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. You know why I believe so many of us never hear from God? Because this is how we want God to speak to us. Right? This is the way we want God's voice to show up to us. This is God. God to come in this magnificent voice. We are so busy waiting for God to shout that we never hear him speak to us. We're so busy wanting the magnificent and the marvelous. And here's what I've learned in my life. God so often appears to us just like he appeared to Elijah. Not in the spectacular and the sensational. God speaks in the mundane and the ordinary and the simple and the ways that we would least expect it. We are so much waiting for this big boom of God's voice that we often ignore him so many other times in our life. And that's why I love the way he spoke to Elijah. The Bible says he came with a gentle whisper. You know what the word originally means? Thin silence. Now watch this. Did you know that you can hear silence? You say, oh, no, you cannot scientifically prove you can hear silence. You also can't scientifically disprove that you can hear silence. In fact, you can theologically prove that you do. That God so often speaks to us, not in the grandiose, 
but in the simple. In fact, here's my conviction. We often never hear God's voice until all the other noise in our life is silenced. And once all the other noise and the chaos and the clutter and the clamoring gets silenced, man, all of a sudden you can hear God speak. That's why I value my time of solitude with God. That's why I value my moments where I get to be with God alone. Because I know that when I silence everything else around me, that all of a sudden God can speak in a way that I've never heard his voice before. God can give me that still, small voice, that gentle whisper. He can speak through thin silence. So here's the second question. God is speaking. Are you hearing him? Are you listening? One final thought. Here's how the story picks up. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. Here's the final thought I don't want you to miss in this story. God wants to be with us, but we often aren't welcoming him. God wants to be with us, but we often aren't welcoming him. What I love here about the story is, and Jesus does it so many times in the Gospels, he acts as if he's going to move right past them. He's going to go right on with his life. He actually acts as though it's not even significant to be there. And so here's the reality. Are we welcoming God when he feels disinterested? Are we welcoming God when he feels distant? Because that's how Jesus felt to them, as if he was going to go past them. But they did something. They extended an invitation. And I love the way that Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 captures this. Look, I have been standing at the door, and I'm constantly knocking. Some of us, all of our lives, have been ignoring a knock. God has been trying to get our attention. And we just simply leave the door shut. I mean, I think if we scratch most of us deep enough, we probably have some kind of Christian or religious background. And yet, how many of us all of our lives have never actually stopped long enough to say, God, I'm going to give you an invitation. God is constantly knocking through the circumstances of our life, through the voices of other people trying to get into our hearts. And some of our doors have been banged on so many times and have been left tightly shut. Well, here's what the Bible says. If anyone hears me calling and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him. I'll have deep communion and relationship with him. I'll be with that person and I'll never leave them. But notice what it's all contingent upon. It's all incumbent upon us, what? Opening the door. Welcoming him. This morning, as our ushers prepare for communion, I want you to see one other verse that speaks to this in John's Gospel, chapter 15. Here's what it says. I am the vine. Say this with me. You are the vine. 
I am the branch. Say, I am the branch. Notice if you stay joined to me and I stay joined to you, then you will produce lots of fruit. This is such an important verse. Because the reality is you and I can do nothing without God. That's actually what it goes on to say. Without Him, it's impossible for us to accomplish anything of lasting value. Now, you may accomplish a lot of things on earth and a lot of impressive things on earth. But if you don't do it for God and you don't do it with God, it will not go with you into eternity. You will not take it with you. But if it's done for Him and if it's done with Him, all of a sudden there is something significant that happens. That simple deed, that simple act, that thing that you've done, now is going to be written down in the annals of Scripture, biblical history and God's history, and God's going to say, there it is. There it is. Because one day everything on this earth is going to pass away. Even the words are going to pass away that we have in this written text. But what is going to live forever is the true Word of God, those things that were done for you. And so this morning, God is everywhere around us. And He's asking us, do you recognize me? God is speaking to our hearts. He's speaking to our lives. Are we listening? Finally, God wants to be with you. He wants to have relationship with you. Are you welcoming Him, even if He feels a little distant, a little disinterested? as though he's going to carelessly pass you by. Are you welcoming him this morning and saying, God, I want that relationship? This morning, this is an opportunity for you to welcome him into your life. As our ushers come, they're going to be distributing two elements, a piece of bread and a cup. We're going to ask you to hold those. We celebrate an open communion, which means if you know Christ is your Savior, you're welcome to join us. Or if you're here this morning and you're ready to cross the line of faith, you're welcome to join us. Take the elements. This is our moment to say, God, we we want to welcome you. We want to invite you into our hearts, into our lives in this moment. The story of Christ appearing here to these two men ended where we read. It would be kind of a sad story. Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him. Then he just moves on past them. They go home and go on with their life. But it's not the end of the story. What happens next is truly remarkable. Luke chapter 24, verse 30. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. This is really significant. Because it obviously wasn't the first time that they had broken bread with Christ. There was something about that moment that was truly remarkable for them. So often when I'm sharing a meal with somebody... Because I'm the pastor, they assume I should say the blessing. But I really love it when somebody else just says, 
can I bless our meal? Can, can I return thanks? Oh man, my heart, my heart just comes alive. Such a small thing, but so significant. I, I can see Jesus sitting at the table and saying, Cleopas, would you mind if I, if I prayed the prayer? If I blessed the meal? Would you, would you be okay if I took the bread and gave thanks? Would, you, would that be okay? And the Bible doesn't say that he appeared to them. He already appeared. It says their eyes were opened. Big, big difference. Jesus is here. Are our eyes opened? And God said, here's the biggest way I'm going to show up to you. I'm going to show up to you in the broken body of my son. And I'm going to reveal myself to you for his sacrifice. You never again have to wonder every time you hold that bread and hold that cup where I am. You never again have to wonder if I'm speaking because I am. The question is, are we listening? Bow your heads, please, before we receive these elements. And I just have to ask you this morning, if you're here and you need your spiritual eyes opened to see God in a new way, to see God in a fresh way, there's something in your life that you know is missing. And you really need something to happen in your heart in this moment as we receive these elements. Maybe for you, it's the first time you're crossing the line of faith. But if you need your eyes open today in a new way to see God and see what God can do for you, can I see your hand if that's you? Just lift it up. If that's you this morning, as we prepare to pray, I want to pray for all those here who say, I want the eyes of my understanding opened in a fresh way today. Can I see your hands? There are several. Are there others? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Father, we hold in our hands one of the most remarkable reminders of your appearance and of your love and of your voice screaming at us as it were I love you I died for you and in the silence Lord of this moment as we prepare I pray the eyes of our understanding would be opened we would see you we would hear you and most importantly, that we would welcome you. Welcome you into our lives in a new way. I pray for every person, God, who lifted their hand and recognizes that they've been a little spiritually blinded by circumstances, by conflict, by trials, by poor choices, by broken relationships. God, they're blind right now and, and they want the eyes of their understanding opened again to see you in a new way, in a fresh way, and what you can do in their lives. So God, Enter in, I pray, as we receive these elements into every life and every heart. Because you're here, God. You're appearing to us. And we want to recognize you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.